Hey everyone, and welcome to the Inhumans podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Marvel Cinematic Community podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. I'm not going to let you kill me again. The Inhumans podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 107, Havoc in the Hidden Land, is brought to you by Terragenesis Phone Booths which incidentally, Matt, double as a handy-dandy corpse locker. Wow, the corpse locker indeed. Pete, here we are, the penultimate episode of Inhumans. What does the future hold for future seasons? Well, since we are recording this on the Saturday, not the Friday which it aired, we can tell you a 0.5 rating with 1.99 million viewers, probably not inspiring ABC president Channing Dungey to order a whole lot more but pete hope remains evergreen just as those green fields in hawaii which we spent a number of episodes on but now now we are of course on the moon so pete shall we dig in let's get to the royal digest our teaser begins matt in the jungles of hawaii where it's completely unclear who is running with whom from whom etc and people are talking eventually though pete we get to dr Declan. there he is pete it's old it's our old buddy henry and cusick back in the jungle again um it, he he's off to the side or rand's off to the side um it appears like he's also been crouched over for like the whole scene but i guess he is on his knees um, quickly, we kind of get some some exposition about Maximus's plans. Everything has been figured out. Don't forget, Gorgon is dead. How many more of them have to die, Pete, in a show where we actually have no one who's died yet? Yeah, <laughs> no one major. Yes, there was the genetic council, and there was um, um, Westworld tech guy, um, but not, none of the major players. Yeah, if, if you are a named member of this cast, um, your your on-screen death means nothing in that we got Triton back after six episodes, Matt. You know, September, when he died on our IMAX screen, and then three weeks later when he died on our TV screen. And now he's back on November 3rd as we're watching this in addition to Gorgon at the end of the episode. But yes, the discussion here, while they think Gorgon is dead, and we had posed the question last week, is he really dead? Um, the subject of Maximus funding Declan's research, though they've never met, hoping that he might replicate the uh, transformation. You mean pterogenesis? Oh yeah, he wants to go through that again. Um, Crystal points out that the Genetic Council would not allow this. Uh, Black Bolt says only if they were murdered. And the question of how many more have to die when not that many people have really died as compared to we think have died <laughs> as we go to the title card. The title card, which continues to be, and I'm not trying to slam the show here. So I'm, let me rephrase what I was going to say, because it was a little bit mean-spirited towards the show where they're just, they're giving their best, Pete. This is a great title sequence, great music, and it's 
whoever was in charge of that, I hope that they can, you know, kind of replicate that. We come back though, Pete, it's a funeral for a friend in which they wrap up Gorgon in a sheet and don't really say much, but then they decide, Pete, it's time to send a message to Maximus. What is it? Uh, Oran gets her neck broken by uh, by uh, Karnak, and um, just when you thought, oh no, maybe this just got a little violent, he reassures us that she's going to come back, what with superpowers and such. Then Medusa, who kind of continues to not be on the same side as the audience in a weird way, which is okay. Maybe we are filled with bloodlust, but she says, can a, she asks, can a king rule if he kills his own brother? To which I would say, can't the king take out the unjust brother that is leading a revolt? Like, it's not a brother-brother issue. It's a king, it's a leader and and insurgent issue, isn't it? I get her concern that you can't kill everybody. I think the subtext of this episode greatly comes down to um, Black Bolt's inability to communicate with his followers, Um, especially when you consider that Medusa is his translator. And when they have their one-on-one later, hey, you you need to include me. I'm not just your translator. I'm your wife. We need to be making these decisions together. But yeah, obviously you map a season, you, you map a story out before you tell it. You're looking to hit certain beats. Okay, Triton doesn't really die. There's a secret spot for them to rendezvous, et cetera, et cetera. Yet you can understand where it feels like a cop out given that we think he's dead. He's gone for an extended period of time, not even the possibility. Oh, well, maybe he made it, et cetera. You know, they look for him for, you know, what was it? One episode. And it's like, that's it, man. We can't find him. Well, Pete, now it's time. Okay. For us to about to get into a, a history of English language moment because crystal, uh, and of course, Lockjaw uh, transport to the throne room. She's got a message. She wants to parley. I thought it was parlay in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. It's parlay, but maybe she wants to party and she said it wrong. Parley in the USA and the moon. Uh, and just in case you thought, well, maybe she accidentally flubbed a line or whatever. Back in Hawaii, the show commits to it. Medusa says that she wants to parley. It's a chance to talk, she explains. Parleying... Maximus even signed it, parley, not parlay. And I think it's important to note, Pete, that any good viewer of the show now is fully fluent in 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 uh, Black Bolt's language here. So regardless, Medusa asks, what if we aren't weak or, or but tired? Um why does the show continue to undercut its heroes? Like, I'm okay with Black Bolt and company through all their trials and tribulations still being the bad guy, the, pardon me, still being the good guys who most of the time make just decisions. Yes, we have the added layer of their kings and the caste system and all that, but it's just weird how it's like, hey, they're going to go home and fight for what is right, I think. And Medusa's always saying, no, Pete, explain it to me. Well, with the parley request granted, and it's going to take place at midday, I think her biggest concern, and it comes up 
within the episode, how much of the plan here did people have to go through and suffer, whereas it could have been avoided? Uh, she even points to her hair. Was was this part of the plan? And while that might seem vain, I think the intent is a true one. I mean, listen, you you can't say that Sorinda Swan doesn't talk too much in this show. She's talking for two characters. However, the intent of what she's saying when she's not speaking for Black Bolt, I think, is heartfelt and sincere. He has lied. He has kept the truth from the rest of this royal family. And here we are in this awful mess. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Sorinda Swan is is heads and tails the best one acting here. And it doesn't take away from many of the other fine actors. Perhaps it's because she has to do double duty dialogue wise. There is a commitment to her that I think the other fine actors are not bringing. And, and I don't know if that's because maybe they're starting to you know get these scripts and so on and so forth and go, all right, this is not very good. Or maybe they're just not as maybe maybe they're just not as talented as she is, and that's not a slam against anyone else. But there's just a fire in her eyes where she's looking at him and she's genuinely saying, "Have you done this? Have you has this plan? Has what has you know what has happened to me? You know, was this all part of the plan? Was this acceptable for you to allow this to happen to your wife?" So there's that. But as you say, it's also kind of like, well, if this if this is if this has been some sort of Machiavellian negative kind of Ocean's Eleven where it's like let me show you what really happened. Black Bolt is actually the bad guy because he did let his wife be physically accosted to, to further his plans and so on and so forth. It doesn't land with that oomph of the grand reveal or it doesn't even feel like hey we're starting to peel back the mask on Black Bolt in part because he's not he's not a fully formed character because he doesn't have a voice. The problem is her message is undercut. She says the loss that we've suffered is tearing us apart. Uh, Matt, what loss is that? Would that be the loss of their cousin Triton? Would that, that be the loss of their other cousin Gorgon? Because by the end of the episode, they're all back. Uh, Triton seemingly better and more dangerous than ever. Uh, Gorgon, hopefully they kind of deal with the idea that uh, even if they got him into the Terragenesis phone booth, which apparently also keeps corpses cool. Um, and standing upright. And standing upright. He decomposed for a fair amount of time, at least half a day, and not good. Well, Pete, what if Parley doesn't work? Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want our listeners to do, okay? Take one hand and make a loose fist, okay? Now, with your other hand, put your hand around the fist, simulating crushing. That's Black Bolt's response. If Parley doesn't work, one hand over other, crushing it. But there is one more place to go, and they go to the beach. Um, Black Bolt touches Lockjaw on the head, which stops him from whining. I'm going to retroactively assume that that was maybe Lockjaw somehow signaling to Triton. Although yes, that's he, not made clear. Him, he made him howl. Okay. Um, then in the triumphant reveal, which kind of 
goes on for a little longer than perhaps it needed to. I suspect this episode was maybe about two minutes too short, and they padded out some of these reveal walkie big arcing camera move scenes. I don't know, but Triton, who you didn't think was dead, who I didn't think is dead, he's revealed not to be dead. Uh, I, I do give extra points for makeup from the waist up in terms of the, the skin tone. It's a happy moment, Pete, as they hug to end the act. And when we come back, Matt, the idea that they're still locked in a hug with a man who just came out of the water, they wearing leather and such on the island of Oahu. <laughs> it's just moon seen. leather, Pete. Come on. <laughs> Don't be a dullard. Do you think they actually have cows on the moon? Uh, it's synthetic stuff. They have a cow dog. The... <laughs> well, it's made by the pool uh, ladies who sit there and sit in the pool. Nice. Um, the reunion over here, the explanation again, that, uh, he was merely wounded. They had set a place to meet in advance, uh, that the King felt it best that Maximus believed, um, his plan was working. That's Maximus's plan. Uh, so crystal and Medusa sounding the chorus now, why they've been kept in the dark. Um, the point you made earlier, Matt, about Sorinda Swan and, and, you know, the acting and everything, I, I think one of the things that this episode does well, there's not a big list of that, um, is put her and Ken Long's character of Karnak at odds with one another. And that works well as a through line because later Karnak kind of goes rogue on his own, but he's, um, he's loyal here. He's backing the King at every corner, um, that, that he had his reasons. Triton wants to know what's up with Gorgon there. They break the news to him. He's dead. We of course don't know could, yet. Could I at share this the, point line, in the episode, but yeah. Could I share the dialogue with you where, where Triton learns that his cousin uh, is no <laughs> longer on this mortal realm? I mean, I watched it, but go ahead. Here's honest to goodness. The dialogue. Where's Gorgon? Come on. He's dead. With that, Pete, they go to the Royal Bunker. Yes, really called the Royal Bunker. And they brought Dr. Declan. I will admit, I mean, I know story reasons. I know why for future story reasons, i.e. the Terragenesis and so on and so forth. I understand why he's needed for the story. Honest to goodness question, Pete, not me ragging on the show. Why did... Black Bolt and company bring Declan, who has a kit of magic. I'm going to make the villain more powerful pills and vials and such. Well, I think it's, again, part of the deal they're going to cut. They're going to allow um, Maximus to go through Terragenesis again in exchange for the kingdom back. And when okay. Maximus welches on that, which... Let's pretend for a moment that we as viewers thought he would be honorable. He's proven dishonorable at every turn. They're not surprised. And, you know, the words still hanging in the air that Medusa has uh, said for Maximus, when I see you again, brother, I'm going to kill you. I, you know what? I totally accept all of that. Yes, it, it it's part of this secret plan, which we are only revealing, which is only being revealed now, which I don't particularly mind. 
Uh, again, to kind of go back to that Ocean's Eleven type example, it's okay if you don't tell the audience your entire plan along the way because the reveal is always cool. I'm not angry. You know who's angry, though, is Medusa because she's finding out that there are secret story points, the old plan, the royal bunker. Um, and uh, so what is the plan, Pete? The plan is fist to palm, to palm in stoppy motion. Uh, with that, Triton's given a gun belt and I think an overcoat. Um, we don't see Triton for the rest of the episode, I think. So I expect him to be in a no, coat No, dude, he cuts up a bunch of people later oh, on. What do you course. mean we don't see him again? Pete, you're absolutely... And he has the overcoat, and that's a cool scene. Pete, I apologize. Here's one thing I am clear on. Elsewhere, Oran, she's dead, but she's not going to stay dead. She's back. And Maximus says that uh, all of this is somehow part of the plan. And uh, they sent her back, as it turns out, not Pete because they are winning, says Maximus, but because actually they are losing. Well, how about that in the dialogue, he explains he thought he was going to wait forever for her to come back. So clearly her regenerative powers are diminishing. Um, And with the parley here, they're out of choices that uh, he wants to become inhuman. She suddenly knowing this regards him a little differently, but it's the idea that he's going to have this new story that he's going to bring people to earth. They're going to have a a larger life um, and it's, it's going to all be for the best of the people. So we're back at this point that we've discussed before, but I think is still really interesting despite this being an episode that is not, let's say the show at its best. I'm still interested in this idea of can he as a leader, and I'm not even speaking in cutesy metaphors for the real world or whatever. This is a genuinely interesting idea that can he as a leader be so personally greedy as to want power for the sake of power or recognition or what he feels he's owed, you know, whatever, but he's or powers powers. He's personally motivated, but he knows that a byproduct will be the betterment of his people. Uh, Can you have the two coexist? I find that to be a really, really interesting uh, prospect, particularly, and this isn't a, a, a right side of the aisle or left side of the aisle issue. If you're going to run for major office, even even minor office, you have to think pretty highly of yourself because you think you can do this this job here. Um, so you simultaneously think that you can do a better job than other people, but you're also going to represent the people and so on and so forth. It's really, really interesting stuff. Add to it the layer that it turns out that Oran only admires the boys who are only human and can't be inhuman but still are king, um, which if we kind of put that in a realistic sense, that's like you know, oh, you're, we'll use FDR, you know, it's, it's, I only like you because you're the guy in the wheelchair who became president. It's less impressive if you just became president. But when you say it like that, well, no, it still is impressive to reach these high offices. So does that make me think worse of her? Therefore, do I, am I, am I supposed to think better of him? I don't know what I'm supposed to think, but there's some interesting stuff going on in this scene. At least there's that, Pete. Well, did she did it that she that he did it for personal reasons rather than for everybody and if you're different than the others 
that's one thing. Okay, you you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever. But here he pulled himself up by his bootstraps so he can have the same boots as everybody else, not for the betterment of everyone. And when we get to Declan explaining to Karnak here the process of pterogenesis, um, the idea of him being brought there is addressed that he has value before we're back in the throne room with Maximus honoring the fallen captain or former captain of the Royal Guard in Gorgon. Yes, Pete, a stirring eulogy delivered to a crowd of about 40, maybe 30. Regardless, Maximus says he's going to miss his cousin Gorgon. They could not find peace during his life, but he hopes to be inspired by that. And, uh, and it is in the honor of Gorgon that they'll enter the field of Parley. With that, Pete, we cut to the field of Parley. It is a peaceful place. Guards with machine guns, the crowd <laughs> watching on. Uh, it's it's made clear. And look, you, sometimes you need exposition for the audience. When Oran says, don't forget, you're going to meet in the center and not shed any blood. And Maximus says, yeah, I know that. No party foul there, Pete. He didn't need to hear it. We needed to hear it. I can't think of a better way to explain it than Oran reminding him. It's all good. Pete, are you ready for the showdown? I am, but the punch is telecast. He has my scientist, so we know what he wants, what he needs. And the honorable thing, of course, would be to do the exchange, hand power back over. Of course, it doesn't go that way. Um, that Black Bolt is taking that higher road. Okay, we're going to grant you that second uh, terogenesis, but we reclaim the right of the throne. Um, and it's still Maximus's, uh, you know, anger here. Uh, and on top of that, he sees the dissension between Medusa and Black Bolt at this point, and it's an opportunity for him. So when he takes Declan, but then declines the terms, and now he's in a position where Okay, Black Bolt could move his lips and splatter him all over the place. But now you've got this highly visible political situation where he came under a flag of truce and you killed him, which is not going to play well. Maximus got Dr. Deckland and made Black Bolt pay for it. He's quite a deal maker, and it's with that sentiment that we end the act. We return from the break with Declan in his IKEA apartment on the moon. It's got all the latest snorglads and uh, and snigglads from IKEA. And uh, Max wants to see Declan and his work on the transformation that your people may call terogenesis. Later <laughs> in the scene, he says he doesn't know what terogenesis is. And I'm just a tad confused, although in between, in the middle of the scene, Maximus says that he wants some gene splicing so he can pick his own powers, which sounds darn cool. I expect in the final episode to have Maximus morph with the uh, scorpion version of the scorpion king at the end of Mummy 2, <laughs> and it'll just be a beautiful, beautiful sight. Terraforming, terogenesis, they seem to do it all here on Adelan. He's got the DNA samples. And um, it's it's going to be an opportunity where Maximus is going to get to choose. So let, let's look at this objectively for a moment. 
everybody else goes through this process with the crystals. Some emerge with powers, some don't. Um, those that emerge with more valuable or sought after or whatever powers, whatever adjective you want to apply to it, uh, rise. Others wind up working in, in other capacities, et cetera, et cetera. But Maximus didn't get any powers. Um, so now he wants to choose which powers he gets. He wants to cherry pick these powers. It's, um, it's sour grapes. It's the worst trait in a leader that, well, you know what? I get to pick, but others don't get to pick. Also, I'm realizing that Declan's portion of the scene was one line away from having a really making it clear that a Maximus is, is clearly in the wrong here and B making it clear kind of how things can, can um, be made a, a metaphor for our own, our own world. If Declan were to say, you know, you can't choose these things from your DNA. It has to happen naturally. Then all of a sudden we go, Oh man, Pete, we're talking about, you know, genetic engineering here and kind of some of that stuff. Eugenics. You know, yeah, <laughs> eugenics and things like that, where that's a step too far. You know, next thing it's blonde hair and blue eyes and all right? the rest. A funny little mustache. Um, like Charlie Chaplin. I mean, it it's not a good precedent at all. And again, leaders, wisdom. Uh, the very reason that Oran is now seeing she she made a huge mistake like uh, Job on Arrested Development um, is the reason Declan here as an objective human saying, no, this is probably not a good idea, but you're more powerful than me. Uh, so when the the discussion, when when Maximus explains what Terrigen is and gives the Obi-Wan Kenobi it's like the force it binds us and penetrates us discussion. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think it bodes well. I, I think we can agree he's going to turn into some kind of monster and it's all going to backfire wonderfully in the finale next week. Well, Pete, exciting update about use of resources on Adelan. Oran interrupts their uh, their conversation in the IKEA apartment. Um, there's trouble with like the power and the water supplies. It turns out there's no maintenance crews because they don't maintain anymore. They're guards. Oh man, Pete, if only we had set aside you know tax revenue to have both or something like that. Um, but joking aside, it is a nice moment to say, "Ack, we're in trouble. We need to get uh, Maximus on the move," which serves the story well enough in a moment. First, though, we head back to the royal bunker where Medusa cross-dissolves a flashback in which she narrates and Matt was not happy with the cross-dissolving whole artistic license it stood, there. It stood out poorly. Um, and then the phrase quiet room broke me completely shh, shh, from the illusion um, which just sounds like something you would stick uh, a misbehaving or, uh, you know, incapable of uh, understanding that they shouldn't cry child 
in a quiet room. This is a pitiable situation. This prince was put in this because he's unable to control these powers. And, and quiet room just doesn't sell it. And yeah, we get it. We are familiar with the comics that there is the quiet room in the comics, but the quiet room is a different thing in the comics. So don't use the term name a different place with that and expect that it's going to be okay. It's a bar in Adelan in the comics and that works because that's funny. Well, Pete Karnak hears this whole story. He feels that it is missing a larger context. However, Pete, he has a new hope. He's going to do a second Terragenesis to bring back Gorgon, even though it's forbidden people. They're just, uh, Pete, they're just handing out, these second terogenesis I, I assume that's the Genesis's. plural. Genesis. Genesis. <laughs> um, they're just handing them out like candy. This is a society gone awry. Uh, Black Bolt, though, says through his hand language that it is forbidden. Karnak accepts that seemingly. However, the camera slows down, suggesting to us that Karnak does not accept it to end the act. We come back with uh, Oran heading to that control room. With Excuse me, Pete. It's the pool room. Can you take <laughs> it seriously? In the comics, there's a pool room. It happens to be where they play snooker and eight ball, but gotcha. this is the pool room. Can we treat it with its proper seriousness? It's the pool room. Yes, with the, uh, the two hooded people who never move. Uh, Karnak does... Uh, acrobatics it doesn't work out the first time and apparently he's better now although no explanation as to how and he has to get it right he redoes it um and he explains to oran once he's done that that she has backed the wrong man yeah i too was wondering just how it is out of the blue that he now has his powers back at full also pete and listen layers upon layers here a lasers what are they i don't really understand them in our world i know sometimes they almost cut off james bond's bits other times like we use them to measure things i don't really know about lasers in the real world in the pretend world though of the marvel cinematic universe i think lasers and other fictional weapon laser type things. I don't know that you can kick a laser bolt and send it back to the person that what shot it at you. Pretty sure you can't. Maybe if you had mirror boots. Now, Pete, there's probably some people saying, but it's fiction. You can do whatever you want. To which I would say, yes, and this show does that because they don't stick serious gravity with any of the serious characters they can do whatever they want like kill triton and kill gorgon and kill oran and none of it sticks well regardless matt uh, having backed the wrong person we we see the regret that uh oran has for gorgon's death um and it's it's seen as weakness in um both black bolt and Maximus. Uh, but uh, Karnak points out that his time on Earth changed him um, and that he needs a bit of Oran's DNA. Indeed. With that, back to the bunker, 
Crystal cries about Dopey Dave. And by the way, Pete, just handed to me now is a piece of paper. Let me tell you what's on the piece of paper. It is a scene from next week's season finale of Inhumans. Now, you know I run spoiler free. So either I'm making up this piece of paper or we have a mole on the inside. Do you want to hear about a scene in the finale that ties back to Crystal crying about Dopey Dave? Absolutely. In the final episode, at some point after the three-quarter mark, Crystal goes back to Earth and meets up with Dave, and she smiles, and he smiles, and they kiss, and maybe they teleport back to the moon, or she stays in Hawaii. But that's what this is setting up. They're going to let Marilyn uh, not have to live with the monsters. (laughs) The story goes on to the Terragenesis chamber where Gorgon is hung there on a meat hook or energy (laughs) beam has him stand up straight. Um, Maybe he's just kind of propped up. I will admit, Pete, just the way I don't understand lasers, what are they? Um, Rigor mortis. How often does it happen? I don't know. I don't watch CSI anymore. Maybe he's just morticized there mortified uh or ran she's squeamish to get a blood sample taken which i I get nobody likes a needle um however after she gives her blood and after karnak says hey we're just going to use the this you know five milliliters of blood to you know make gorgon get regenerated that's when she tells him that her regeneration powers might not work anymore yeah, um, and uh, Declan had told her that, but Karnak understands that uh, he's been forced to rethink his powers. So obviously they're going to make the best of a bad situation all the way around. So he drops the old Terrigen crystals in. Um, they open it up. Of course, it takes time for everybody. Uh, and let's just point out as podcasters, we've never heard of Don on a dead person before. So that's a little different. And then they hear voices. The discussion quickly is they must fight or flee. They're not going to flee together. And uh, Karnak closes the uh, phone booth with Gorgon in it. And he leaves to break the fourth act coming out of that act break Declan and uh, Maximus uh, arrive at the Terra Genesis chamber uh, Declan rips on the set design of the quote-unquote <laughs> phone booth chamber um, so uh, if nothing else Pete they're being, they're being very meta um, in this scene Henry Ian Cusick who played my favorite character on Lost uh, who I think is a wonderful actor he also uses some technical language that makes it seems like he's not completely comfortable with his lines. I don't remember the exact wording, but it's like, we're going to use the whoozy whatsy manipulator to then help you with your situation. And it's kind of like somebody needs to yell cut and say, one more time, please, Henry. Um, but they didn't. And it's just kind of there. And I'm no actor. But to me, there was just this halting moment where it's like, and then I brain feed me. Difficult phrase, blah, 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 blah. Brain feed me the rest of it, blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, Pete, let's put on our frowny faces, okay? Maximus, he's melancholy being back here in the chamber room. His family isn't there like it was last time. The family's been driven away. It's just so sad. But wait, Pete, look, what's over there in the corner? 
this was supposed to be a victory and it's not. Um, it, he's going to be the first of a new generation and we have Gorgon in another booth there, possibly the already first of a new generation before uh, his highness Maximus is told about an incident in the control room. It's beginning, Matt. Yes, the foundation seems to start to shake. The guards get him. Uh, he's then brought outside. Um, and Pete, we've been a little rough on this episode. Here comes some genuine compliments. We see Triton watching Maximus with the Royal Guard, and then he kind of knifes them one by one yeah. uh, in, in cold blood. It's <laughs> this not... was the best action the show has done. And also some of the best editing, because it's not really objectively realistic that you could in a crowd that's not super thick you know be be take out one guard where did the per attacker go take out the next one it that's not realistic the way it is shot the way it is edited we see that it is realistic we see that it is happening obviously they're cutting away you know from triton running up and pulling the guy away and whatnot but like they make us believe what they want you know the, the fiction that's the job of it um, he takes out three in the courtyard, and then we have the passageway fight. He's dragging that knife along the concrete wall, and it's all sparky and whatnot. Takes them out. Then they end up in a dusty, abandoned hallway. Pete, you can't get one of these lower cast folks to like get here with a mop every so often. You well, know, how about that it's got um, bars on the window? It looks a lot like an Earth location they might have used and. Obviously, that's what it really is, but we're told Wait, they that didn't it's... shoot on the moon for this? No, we're told that it's on the moon. It just doesn't fit. Also, what doesn't work for me is this TV show's affinity for lousy covers of songs. Here, the cover of the 1996 Soundgarden song, Blow Up the Outside World, by um, not Soundgarden. <laughs> they do seem to go to that wheelhouse more often than other this shows. This is the third time in seven episodes. Well, good news, Pete. Triton wins the fight pretty handily. I have to say, despite the fact that I didn't think he was going to lose, I do like the degree to which the show demonstrates Maximus fighting back, getting some good hits and the like. Uh, but Maximus gets taken to the Royal Bunker uh black bolt is there he is ready to kill maximus but wait a minute pete this is not the finale turns out that there's a fail safe whereas if maximus dies everyone does what's his proof the only proof you'll have is if he dies and then everybody else dies to end the act our tag scene matt is declan with the crystals there he'd give his kingdom for an electron microscope to check out the the biotech, the lights go out. There's heavy breathing. It's not lockjaw. Identify yourself, he asks. I work for Maximus. I'm allowed to be here. And it is a resurrected Gorgon as we get ready for the finale next week. Let's look at a pair of royal pains. Pete Oron, ever pesky. Uh, we thought she died in the first episode. Nope, she came back. She's died in other episodes. Nope, she's come back. 
And here we see her continuing to be a rascal. But sh will she rascalize the main rascal next week? Sonia Balmoris is so much more talented than what this role allows her to be. And I feel like though they've hinted at a more dimensional character, she has regrets now. She sees that Gorgon has been killed. This has not gone well. Uh, the, the sideways aspect of, you know, oh, you pitied a human and now because he wants to pick his power, you feel differently. Um, but I, I just wish they could let her be her own character rather than being dictated by the men around her. I appreciate that her evolving understanding of Maximus's unsuitability for, for the, the, the responsibilities of office. I, I appreciate that that is going on, that that development is going on. But again, I return to this idea of it's like she only liked him when he wasn't, you know, when he wasn't the fastest kid. Now that he, now that he's doing things to become, you know, to overcome his, you know, inhuman population disability she doesn't like him because she only liked him when he was disabled that's a weird way to do that it definitely is and then when we get to maximus here human wants the inhuman powers going back on his word i don't know how anybody in adelan could possibly view him as somebody they want in power only through fear pete the latest polls of the Adelan population <laughs> show him at a 35% approval rating. It doesn't get much lower than that. Um, but Historic, really. It, it is. I mean, the only way it could get worse, there was there was one king of Adelan about 40 years ago who actually resigned at 25% approval rating. So by that measure, his 35% is, is pretty darn low. But Pete, you still have to respect the office. He is the king of Adelan. Side note, I have a question about that whole process, but why don't we talk about that during the series segment? Well, then it's time for some royal thoughts. Pete, take me through this, because genuinely I'm not trying to bag on the show or rag on the show or anything on the show unfairly. Maximus is the king of Adelan because Black Bolt merely left like, here's my point. Now that Black Bolt is back on the moon, why isn't he, why isn't just like, look, everyone, Black Bolt is back. He stills the king. Like, did he resign so he could marry uh, Mrs. Simpson, Wallace Simpson, <laughs> and, and, and the, the American divorcee, twice divorced, and the Church of England wouldn't approve of it? Like, why isn't Black Bolt just king because he's back? It's murky at best. The coup was hidden from the people. It was, oh, the king has left i'm in charge i'm picking up the slack of leadership and yeah now that he's back uh and the king is not in charge it's unclear you know what resolves that matt do you, do you know how that's fixed uh how's that how about some dialogue explaining how about somebody coming forward and saying well these are the the rights of secession so on and so forth so that it's clear doesn't need to be an earthbound system because we're not there uh even though we film there but uh explain it and it's not explained and that only adds to the rational person's confusion okay by the end of the episode and and the discussion of 
the failsafe and everything there, but why he wouldn't be back in power, I guess that's why you have rebels who are continuing to stir things up, but you've got to state that at some point. And all it takes, I mean, all it would take is one line where someone goes, ah, for once the king of Adelan has left Adelan, he has given up his powers forever. Now, I don't think that's a good system, but if that's the, I think there's lots of things that don't make for a good system in the real world. If you say that, okay, well, if that's the rule, whatever, dude, like I, it is kind of a good idea that the king of Adelan should always stay in Adelan if it's this small secretive population. Okay, I can also be like, hey, that's there for story reasons. Okay, guess what? The entire episode and every episode, every bit of fiction is written for story reasons. So we'll just take that one story reason to remove this concern entirely. Clarity is so important as a writer for your audience. And that that's not clear. The questioning of it by us distracts from the true narrative. Matt, let's we'll, we'll get off the, the divine right of uh, secession right now, because clearly this show doesn't even know or they haven't told us uh, this second terrogenesis. Uh, we've we've already seen one character go through it in Gorgon and we had questioned last week, is he even dead? And that wasn't with a sense of knowledge that he was come back just like, hey, this is a science fiction comic book show. Do do we take it at their word uh, until, you know, there's a burial and even then, you know, the hand pops up through the dirt, what have you. This second terogenesis, this can only end poorly, right? I mean, look, to me, so many, uh, particularly when you're in the comic book genre, but stories in general, to me, it always comes back to why there is kryptonite for Superman, because the writers had somebody who was too powerful and they couldn't write stories anymore. They ran out of stories where Superman gets stopped. So they came up with this thing that now stops Superman for them. And you can have a kryptonite ring or you can have a kryptonite bomb or you can have a kryptonite cave or whatever it is. Now you have ways to stop this person because truly if fiction is unlimited, if you can do anything at any time, then that means that nothing matters. And of course it has to matter. Um, If Gorgon comes back and he's okay, all right, well, then that means Maximus can just be put through the thing. Like, if it didn't work the first time, and he is, you know, as as the Adelan population would view it, he is disabled, and the there's the ability to give him equal opportunity by merely putting him in another Terrigen Mist. Okay, go do that. Maybe he ends up with hook hands. Maybe he ends up with wings. Maybe he ends up with laser beam eyes. I don't know. But then he's had his opportunity, same as everyone else. So... I would hope that the able writing staff, as overseen by Scott Buck, is going to make these characters have some kind of permanent consequences in the final episode. I'm just worried that if Gorgon goes, oh, oh, sorry, my brain was reformulating. Now I am back to normal. Well, then we're back to nothing counting for anything. Pete, here's a quick one for you. And this is credit to the show for kind of kind of talking real to the audience here, okay? The the episode takes at one moment, takes an opportunity to take a chair, turn it around, sit backwards, and have just a little chit-chat with some of the the gentlemen in the audience, okay? 
Karnak in that scene where uh, Oran, she says her powers are fading, he says that he's been having some troubles too, Pete. So I just want to say I appreciate, you know, we're, we're, we're both young, virile guys and our wives are both dazzled by us in every way. But I like that Karnak is talking a little bit how, you know, you might reach a certain age where you start to lose some of that, some of that pizzazz. And you know what? They live in a highly advanced society with, with medicine. So do we. And I think, you know, it's, it's never, it's never inappropriate to sit down and talk with your doctor about your, your powers aren't working anymore. And what can you do about it? Not touching that one with a 10 foot pole. Uh, let's talk about the fail safe, Matt, since you're talking about a form of fail safe. Um, does Maximus have a fail safe or is this just another gambit? It's difficult to say. It, it certainly is played in a way where he is verbally presenting this this impossible option. You know, it's like you can't possibly risk testing this because otherwise everyone will die shortly. Um, it would be nice if the episode had given us some evidence prior to this, you know, like, hey, why is it that, you know, Dr. Bob keeps coming to check the blinky thing on his uh, on Maximus's arm or, you know, what is that? If there was some sort of thing where he said, Pete, this is two episodes in a row where he keeps referring to, you know, to to, you know, make sure the device is ready. What, what did I miss? What is that? We don't know what the device is. So out of the blue, I would say the story's lack of evidence suggests that this is not real. If it ends up being real, then I say, why didn't you write that reality in, you know, into the show prior to needing to see where the bombs are wrapped around the support columns deep beneath Adelan or whatever? Well, we'll just have to wait a week, Matt, and see what's what. And now, time to check the Royal Correspondence. Pete, we had a tweet from Adelan Rising. That's at Adelan Rising One, who, uh, by the way, does a wonderful uh, podcast about Inhumans in general, not just the show, comics, etc., Quick to point out, by the way, this is what they said to us, that uh, The Bunker is right out of All New Inhumans by James Asmus. So, yeah, I know we've been a little uh, we've been a little uh, strict with this episode, Pete. Perhaps not the strongest response, but uh, a reminder, there is a whole comic series you can check out when this is said and done. And, um, you know, and, and uh, that's worth checking out. It's all better because there's no scene in the Royal Bunker where someone is signing to another character and you can't see the signing happening. But then the other character translates stuff because it's been signed behind the Royal Bunker shelves where the camera is placed. We'll go to Facebook, Matt, where Robert T. Frost writes in to the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. And there, Robert T. Frost writes, Inhumans E-107. My grandmother always told me, if you can't say something nice, then you shouldn't say anything at all. Thus, my unusual quiet instead of my normal verbose ramblings on FB, Facebook, like the cool kids say there, Matt. Uh, so, for the good stuff, Lockjaw, anything with Lockjaw. 
Unfortunately, I don't think we are going to get any backstory of how he came to be an inhuman cow dog. And here, near the end of Inhumans, I would like to nominate Karnak for this episode's MVP. I really enjoyed the growth and depth of the character he displayed, incorporating the lessons learned from his time on Earth. One of the best prior sequences that showed Karnak's limitations was when he was playing chess against himself and no pieces on the board were moved, being paralyzed by indecision as he contemplated every move possible. Now he has learned that you must make a decision the best possible, but act you must. That, along with the return of his powers of intellectual deduction and or time manipulation... There's a question mark there. <laughs> we all have the question mark. Bob. We all have the question mark. Again, make it clear in dialogue what, what he can do. I have the power of blah, 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 blah. Made for a most interesting character. His moves during the fight scene in the observation room were awesome and fun to watch. Also, a tip of my hat to the two actors in the white robes in the observatory how hard was it and how many takes did it take to sit there without flinching? A question, Matt. Could they be CGI'd mannequins? I'll do you one better, Pete. It might just be easier, cheaper, etc. Have two mannequins there. I mean, if you're not ever interacting with them and they're there to kind of be mysterious, non-moving entities, which I don't need an answer for story-wise, maybe it's just uh, you know a couple of crash test dummies wearing robes. Finishing Bob's post here, Medusa's change in her point of view toward Adelan's caste system gave me whiplash, but I think that's inevitable given we only have eight episodes for our royal family to grow and change. It appears that Black Bolt may be changing too, but with reluctance. He still exhibits the divine right of kings attitude. If he has a master plan to grow Adelan and his people out of the Middle Ages, I wish the show would do it without making Black Bolt look like such a, I'm going to edit here, D-bag. But uh, be the leader with vision, not a spoiled, petulant child. Have you gentlemen seen The Gifted over on the Fox channel? That show is what I hoped for from our Inhumans. Not dirty, gritty, or dark but with developed characters and a good, compelling story that we can sink our teeth into. Sigh. Enough for now, your friend, Bob. Well, first of all, I have not seen The Gifted. However, I know a couple people have recommended it, and I feel like Bob's incredibly verbose description of what's going on over there now has me interested, uh, whether it's on demand or when it hits... Uh, you, you know, when it hits DVD or hits Netflix or whatever that plan is going to be, that's now officially on my radar, um, particularly if it's great character stuff. That's what it's about at the end of the day. And Bob also has me thinking, if we are going to commit fully to this, you know, Black Bolt, this was Black Bolt's plan all along to to use Maximus's, uh, you know, greedy side to, to serve as a, uh, y- you know, a, a negative through which positive can grow. That'll be interesting, but I feel like we haven't seen that developing until this episode, and you should have had a sense of it before the penultimate episode. 
Well, Matt, we just want to take an opportunity here to once again thank the good people that head on over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and help us get this thing that we do uh, out on time, paid for, et cetera, et cetera. Indeed, we are so proud to be listener supported. I know that's kind of like a, you know, it's like a public radio cliche, but really, really to know that Fantastic Geek is listener supported and we're able to grow, we're able to keep the back catalog because of listeners like you. There's a reason those are cliches. It's because it's true and we appreciate it so very much. And looking to give a little bit back, Matt, uh, our trip to New York Comic Con, we procured quite a few uh, thank yous, if you will, for our audience in general. So our current giveaway is a Funko Pop Thor Ragnarok Grand Master figurine that we will be raffling off the, uh, the, the first Marvel Runaways podcast by Fantastic Geek. Uh, that show, of course, premiering on Tuesday, November 21st. So you can get yourself up to a maximum of 12 entries. Every review left to a Fantastic Geek podcast. There are currently 11 feeds on iTunes. There'll be a 12th very soon for Runaways. Every review left within that time frame is going to earn you one entry there for that mini likeness of Jeff Goldblum. You know you want it, so step up and grab it. Well, Pete, the greatest gift of all is, of course, being able to talk with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,612 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you want. We are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with the PH. Visit fantasticgeek.com. Email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Send a message or a like at uh, Fantastic Geek on Twitter and Instagram. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH. All one word. Get on it. Get there today. Well, Pete, next week, the final season one, perhaps final series episode of Inhumans. It's been a trip. It's been interesting. Can't wait to see how things end up, win, lose, or draw. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final penultimate episode word. Maybe death has a purpose. Not one forgiving, 